you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Welcome back everyone for our season finale for season 4 this is episode 13, DK Mag Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. Please visit our website at D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. And my co-hosts this evening are... Eden Artuz, content contributor for DKMag.com. And don't forget to listen to our podcast in Google Music. Stacey Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher rating and reviews and help us rank. And in this season finale, we would be taking a different route. And instead of presenting a slate of news, what, are, what we are going to be doing tonight are presenting three interviews. The first interview is for the film the answer and we were the first one of the first outlets to review this film this film just came out a few weeks ago but we did review the film back in december 2016. the director is iqbal ahmed and is he is also serves as the writer the synopsis is after being attacked, an introverted young man must follow clues left by his dead parents in order to figure out who is after him and who he really is. Our second interview is with Jason from the Paranormal Den. And this is a paranormal investigative group. Uh, you could find them on Facebook if you have any uh, who you're going to call Ghostbusters. Well, these guys are the real Ghostbusters. And our third interview is uh, Stacy and I conducted this round table event. This is our second round table that we've conducted here on DK Mag Podcast. And that is for the upcoming film Safe Place. And that is directed by Nick Hunt, who also serves as writer. And the synopsis reads as follows. Six students attend a party to celebrate their friend's successful art show opening. Their presence triggers memories of a traumatic event in the host past. And he resolves to positively impact the course of their lives by ending them. Interesting. Well, without further ado, here is our podcast exclusive interview and our season finale. Exclusive interview, Iqbal Ahmed, director, writer, The Answer. Who's after us? After you! I'm not gonna run forever. Trust me, it'll grow on you. I need to find out who's after me. The numbers run out.
Stacy, what did you think about that trailer for The Answer? Um, I actually had to watch it twice because at first I didn't really understand it. Um, and I there's still, you know, maybe some questions there. But I will say that it is a very intriguing trailer and I cannot wait to watch the movie. Well, let me tell you, the film it is very interesting because it presents a different take on the alien invasion concept. So instead of seeing creatures or you know the usual big bulbous head with the big eyes, what we have are hybrid human alien hybrid. And the protagonist, he is part of this experimentation because he develops newfound abilities and he he changes from the beginning of the film uh, to the ending of the film which is how a protagonist is supposed to evolve throughout the course of act one through act three uh, so what do you think about that yeah stacy uh aliens oh you know aliens is always an um an interesting subject um and I am a big fan of, of paranormal films, um, so I can't really say there's any uh, films that I have not liked. And when I was actually watching the trailer for The Answer, it just made me more, like want to know, like want to get to know, was that the, the lead character? You know, the guy with all these, like, r just random powers that just kind of came out out of nowhere. Was that, was he the main character? Yes, yes, he was okay. the main character. Yeah. And, yeah, and he just developed this these powers. And uh, you, could, you could call him a, a, a superhero in, in a way. Yes, definitely. I definitely saw that in there as well. So, um... I like I said, I definitely have a lot of questions, and that probably will only be probably only be answered when I watch the movie. The answer will premiere on video on demand on the 11th of July 2017. So I stand corrected. I thought it was the 11th of June. It's the 11th of July, and uh, as I had mentioned before. Iqbal Ahmed. This is his actually. This is his debut feature film debut. Can you believe that? No, miss. That's awesome. Yeah, it just blew me away. How the graphics did not look cheesy. You know, I'm not a big CGI kind of guy. I, I prefer practical effects, but this film has some spectacular CGI. It it merges. CGI with reality um, I did not find anything wrong with the CGI you know it blended pretty well what really captured my eye and you can see it in the trailer were the soldiers I enjoyed how you know they had that combat feel they look unique the suits were pretty pretty badass you know and uh, for being on budget uh, Costuming is one of the costliest thing of any type of film. And without further ado, here is my interview with Iqbal Ahmed. And I'm going to start off with a brief uh, introduction. 
my name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DK Mag. And joining me this afternoon is writer, director, Iqbal Ahmed. And we're going to be discussing his latest film, The Answer, a sci-fi thriller. But INDB puts it as romance, but I put it as an action film. Uh, welcome and thank you for your time, Mr. Uh, Ahmed. Well, thank you so much, Ken. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And uh, as the icebreaker, um, what were the thematics that went into uh, constructing the screenplay for The Answer? Well, you know, I've always been so drawn to elevated genre movies. Um, movies by folks like Hitchcock and Spielberg who could somehow always take what would frequently feel like a B-movie plotline and elevate it to something that really lasted in the consciousness. So for, for me, I, I wanted to, to have a different sort of take on an alien movie. Um, and I wanted it to be really relatable for most of us. You know, there's something about um, going to see sci-fi movies where you're so obviously in an elevated world. And for me, that's fantastic when you've got gigantic budgets or when you're at a movieplex, but there's always that kind of distance between the audience and the view and, and, and the filmmaker, because the filmmakers are saying, look at all these, you know, fantastic effects. Look at all the, uh, this inc incredible gadgetry and everything else. And for me, I thought I'd, I'd take a different approach, which is to say, um, why don't I build this as a sci-fi thriller that's going to get to a place that feels where you really feel the action, you really feel the tension and the thrills. But what if I start it from a much smaller place in the beginning, a place that we can kind of all relate to? So I think that was part of the genesis of the idea, you know, the story of wanting to build it around a character that we can all see a little bit of ourselves in. Oh, thank you. And I was truly impressed with the, with the, uh, with the integration of aliens, but this is a different concept. Aliens are already among us. Can, can you please shed some, uh, personal idea on real life scenario because there's a lot of conspiracy surrounding that aliens are among us. Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think, you know, it's funny. I, I, before making this movie, I didn't really have a particularly strong opinion on aliens or conspiracies or anything else like that. But at the same time, I've always been incredibly open-minded about the fact that I don't think we know everything that's going on. You know, and if you take it to the world of like what is realistically actually happening, conspiracy theory or not, there's so many subversive elements in our society now anyway, politically and in every other kind of capacity. So I thought to sort of play on the fears that we've already got about menace that's already in our society, why not take it to that other level where it, it can go to science fiction and it can actually feel a little larger in scope and maybe scarier, maybe friendlier. It all kind of depends on where you're coming from. But, you know, I think my real world application or, or my inspiration was just that right now there's so many things going on underneath the surface of society. So what if we 
dove a little deeper and found this pocket. And yeah, they happen to be aliens. And that's the scary and interesting and different part of it all. <laughs> that, that would be a very scary uh, aspect, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and watching the answer, my first impression was there was a very big budget involved. But this is an indie production, smaller, tighter budget. So what were the... Um, what what was the goal and how you achieved certain scenes, especially with the costume design that kept the costs low? You know, that's uh first of all, thank you for the compliment. Um, I worked really hard and the rest of the team worked so hard to, to maximize all the production value. You know, I come from the world of loving studio movies and like beautiful and professional and immersive films. And so, you know, yeah, the budget was a little bit small, but I didn't want to sacrifice action and thrills and fight scenes. But it was really just about kind of orienting the story so that I was, everything made sense for the kind of story I was trying to tell, you know. And I think it was about a lot of really, really careful planning. And let's also face it, you know, this is my first feature film and I begged and borrowed and stole all the favors and gear and everything else and personnel help that I possibly could, you know. So, you know, I, I'm just inspired by big movies. You know, I watch movies and I make movies so that it really feels like a different experience, so that it feels big and more interesting and more impactful than like normal life. I think that's probably why most people watch movies. Um, so I wanted to deliver that. And I, I think audiences are going to be happy. I hope they are. I hope you were. Yeah, yeah. I, I, what really got my attention was the protagonist. And I don't want to delve into him. You seem to deliver the ever the average Joe, normal everyday guy. And then he involves into, let's say... Poor, poor description, but a superhero sure. in, in a sense. Sure, right. So, <laughs> so how did how did this construct? Um, how important was him to be just a regular guy as opposed to some bulky superhero? Man, well, you know, I I think it was fundamental to the story. You know, I knew I didn't want to make a movie that felt like every other superhero movie. You know, like, you know, whatever I can maximize for my production value, that just feels like a poor use of my resources, you know. And it's also not particularly original, you know. So for me, I really wanted a fantastic actor and somebody who we'd never see this from. You know, I think that's where the joy in, in this kind of movie and hopefully the surprise um, comes because I've built it around a guy that we can all relate to. You know, I think when we watch Brit on the screen, any guy will look at it and be like, yeah, okay, there's a little bit of me in that person. You know, somebody who's just like got his head down, trying to make a living, you know, not sure where he or she, you know, fits in the world. Um, and then seeing that evolution, like that was why I wanted to make this movie. You know, like that's what makes it, That's what makes these kinds of movies, and frankly, all movies, even if they are a superhero movie, it's what makes them fun and interesting to me. You know, it's seeing somebody start in one place and end in another, because it doesn't matter the kind of action scenes and fight scenes and effects and everything else you've got going on. And we do have a bunch. None of that matters if you don't have a hero you care about. So 
Yeah, I'd say that, you know, building this every day, Joe, um, was completely fundamental to the story. Yeah, and uh, he definitely got my attention. I, I appreciate the, the average guy, uh, average Joe uh, aesthetic. Uh, one of my also favorite highlights were the special effects and the costume design. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. The team who worked on those aspects, uh, congratulations to them. Oh, you know, they did a fantastic job. Um, Malcolm Bacani was our costume designer, and it was so fun brainstorming with him to come up with something that felt alien and insidious, but also not so far out. You know, my, my hope, when, when you watch the aliens in this movie, in the beginning, I don't think people are going to know who is what because they feel militaristic. You know, they feel a little bit like a SWAT team or a special ops team. Um, you know, our our props designer was fantastic. Our production designer was fantastic. Um, and the VFX were, you know, were really challenging, but it was so great to finally integrate both the visual effects and the actual special effects, you know? I mean, we had a great choreographer and our actors were all really willing to put themselves on the line and I think you can feel it. You know, the fight scenes are actually real because at the end of this movie, everybody was a little bit black and blue from the actual bruises. Um, but I also think that's what separates this out. You know, there's something real and physical and a little bit painful about every hit you see on screen. So, uh, so I'm glad that that you guys uh, that that you responded to it. Yeah, and for the visual effects too, it was really about, um, you know, I think making the VFX fit onto these devices and seeing what the aliens can do and everything else. I knew that that was going to be something that was uh, that would surprise audiences. Right, right. And uh, <clears throat> let me tell you, the the library scene very intense right there. Oh, with the uh, with the choreography, and that's when I say, "Hey, this movie is going somewhere here." Let's let's can't wait for the ending, and of course another climatic scene. Um, but one thing that really uh, got my attention as well was the relationship between the protagonist and a young woman who finds herself in the, the thrust in the midst of things. But to me, I feel their relationship didn't quite develop. Uh, can you describe their relationship for me? And there's any plans to see them in the future? In the future. Well, you know, that's it's interesting that you say that it didn't quite develop because, you know, on some level, it feels to me. I, I was always hoping that this movie would sort of be a taste of things to come. You know, and what I also wanted to do uh, was to kind of put two contrasting characters together in the same space. You know, I think probably to some degree, the challenge is that, you know, with, with the energy and the pace of the movie and the plot, really, it's, it's a little bit hard to have all the characters reach that, that three-dimensional final arc. You know, and I knew that for our hero, Brid, we needed that. But I wanted it to be a little bit open-ended and, frankly, to kind of feel a little bit realistic with our female character because... I don't know about you, Ken, but at least in my life, I've almost never got a full arc in two hours or a couple days or even a week. There's always something that's a little bit open-ended. Um, right. Now, you know, and so what I wanted to do is kind of satisfy the audience's need for uh, an ending. 
but also to leave it just a little bit open-ended. So it's like, huh, I wonder, I wonder where we're going to go. You know, because to me, some of my favorite movies are the ones that are that just make you lean forward, and at the end, you're like, oh man, now I want to see part two. You know, and so to some degree, I think that's uh, that was in the back of my mind. Right, and it, it I've seen a lot of action movies uh, uh, during the '80s, the '90s, and they're the protagonist and his female. Uh, um, a counterpart they remind me mo a lot of the the 80s and 90s action films where you have the superhero and you have the unlikely uh a partner and then they start to develop their relationship was that type of like an homage to these type of films you know i wouldn't say that it was a formal homage but mm -hmm. i will admit i love 80s and 90s movies you know there was something awesome about the the scale and the scope of what they're trying to do and, and in many ways this was the first time we ever got to see fun cool intense sci-fi movies you know whether it was like on the sweeter side of things or on the darker side of things you know the sweeter side might be um a little bit more like E.T. and Close Encounters. I mean, there's still some darkness in there. And then the darker, moodier side. And, well, and let's say Star Wars, too, you know. And then if you go on the darker side, that's a little bit like Alien, a little bit like Blade Runner. Um, and so for me, I was really interested, I guess, in sort of splitting that difference, right? Like, I love, I wanted to have a protagonist who was clear, who was relatable, and who we could really root for. Um, and I also wanted to have a little bit of fun. You know, that's probably why IMDb is a little bit confused and said that there was some romance. Because, you know, there, I wanted to have a movie that had a little bit of everything. Because to me, that feels, that, that always makes something feel really rounded and, I don't know, like larger than life in a good sort of way. Um, so, does that answer your question? Yes, most definitely. And... Uh... I, it's very difficult to have a film that crosses genres appropriately. I've seen my share of films that uh, claim to do this, but they fail to do so. And watching the answer, uh, it was like, wow, fascinating film. I enjoyed the plot, very grounded, not too over-the-top graphics. And uh, yeah, it was, it's a very great film. I think the audiences will definitely enjoy this. Well, Ken, thank you so much for the kind words, man. It makes me it makes me so happy when anybody gets something out of the movie, and and hopefully, you know, with everything that's going on in there, uh, everybody will find at least one or two things that they're really, really excited about. I was I was excited to make it, so now it'll be fun to see it out in the world. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, another touch for the production. Uh, you you noted many times that it was fun. Uh, creating this film, were, were there any uh, pitfalls during the production that uh, halted the production in some way or shifted a particular scene in some way? Oh, man, we had so many of those things. It's not a movie unless there are problems. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's it's so funny because my hope, uh, well, I'm I'm glad that it's not it's not obvious to you where there were challenges or not, but, you know, what... What I've always planned on, the way I approach any project is to 
essentially plan everything I can to the best of my abilities, frequently have a plan B or C ready to go. And, you know, there were a lot of days where we had to do that, days where there was like massive flooding and we had to set up lights outside and then all of a sudden we had to cover those with, with tented material, but then those caught all the water and then they buckled in, so we had to find new solutions. You know, we had scenes where wind was so crazy and snow was coming down that we had to tether our lights down and and have people hanging on to the base of every one of these things because the wind was so crazy and it was, you know, 20 degrees. Um, so, yeah, yeah, lots of lots of challenges, but I'm not going to tell you which scenes because uh, I like that you don't know because that means that I did my uh, my job okay to kind of to hide it and to stay agile enough that we could we could change up the plans as we were going. <laughs> well, thank you for the secrecy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I figure that's that's uh, we all want to know about how movies are made, but every now and then I think it's it's fun to have a secret or two and just let people feel the movie, you know? So so uh, I guess the good news is that it's not obvious. Um, where things went wrong when they did. <laughs> and one final question uh, before uh, an open platform. Uh, I delved into a conspiracy theory type question before, and here's another one. The answer also delves into alien breeding with uh, humans. And uh, as a result, we have these super enhanced humans there is also a conspiracy theory about that, especially in the ancient alien theory. So what is your personal opinion on that type of scenario? Well, you know what? If I, if I were an alien, I'd want to integrate. You know, I would not want to call attention to myself. I'd want to stay below the radar. Uh, and I would want to find a way to connect myself genetically to my host planet. So I kind of started from that realm, and I'm I'm so fascinated by all the theories and discussion around ancient aliens and everything else, and frequently there's a lot of very, very compelling ideas from that. Um, you know, I'm still not sure where I weigh in on, on all of that stuff, but it's definitely very interesting and fascinating and, and actually has a great deal of sort of logic and rationale behind it. So for me, in approaching this movie anyway, I, I wanted to, to make something that conceptually felt realistic. You know what I mean? There was something about, I think, the scale of, of this and something about the way um, the aliens in this film go about operating that kind of feels like the way any sort of like guerrilla movement might be. So, so yeah, so I think it was a little bit informed by that. Thank you. And an open-ended platform, uh, what are your plans uh, now with the release of The Answer and future of 2018 and beyond? What do you have plans um, film-wise? Well, you know, I love genre movies. I love taking genres that I've always grown to love uh, and, and grown up loving, rather, um, and putting my own spin on them. So, you know, I have... Uh, a couple of other movies in the works that I'm I'm going to be raising financing for, and that I'll I'll probably one I'll try to shoot in 2018. Um, it's been it's been so fun making this movie. It's been so much work. It's totally been a labor of love, but it, it's it's fun now to have it out in the world, or and then to see what audiences actually think about it. 
So I'm, I'm sure I'll learn a lot from audience reaction. And um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm, I, I want to go make my own kind of movie and see who else likes what I like. You know, on some level, I think that's what every director is trying to do. We're trying to make a movie that's been playing in our head or tell a story that's been on our minds for a really long time and then put it out in the world and see if anybody feels the same way. So, you know, I'm, I've got the bug. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to making some other movies, whether they're horror, sci-fi, uh, you know, I love, uh, or action, straight-up action. I, I love all of these kinds of movies, and I've got some in the works. Great, looking forward to them. And if they're as good as the answer, definitely uh, I'm going to be reaching out to you for another interview. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I'd be thrilled to chat with you again, Ken. This, is a, this has been a blast. Thank you, thank you. And once again, I enjoyed the film. Uh, we were one of the first uh, outlets uh, to review the film. And it was, a, it was a long waiting process. We were like, when is this film going to release to the public? <laughs> <And it> did. <laughs> so now we could share our uh, uh, commentary, you know, with the public at a full scale. Awesome. Well, look, I'm, I'm so grateful for the attention and... Uh, and it's just fun to talk movies. So anytime. Hopefully I've got another movie soon and we can, uh, we can jump on the phone again. Exclusive interview. Paranormal Den interview. And next is our interview with Jason. And he uh, represents the Paranormal Den. And you could find the Paranormal Den on Facebook. Uh, these are the real type of ghostbusters not the ones that you see in the movies or on tv uh him and his uh partner they set out to investigate homes locales and it's not just the uh you know tracking down the demon uh they go out and they do their investigation uh, to find traces of paranormal activity wherever it may lie very interesting um I would not say hobby because this is a dedicated role. You really have to dedicate yourself to this type of endeavor. So indeed, um, paranormal. Uh, we've talked about this many times on the podcast. So please weigh in. Um, do you think this is a scientific type of research that that has validity <coughs> with all the evidence that that they gather? always talk about paranormal and how that causes problems from others it brings relief for others in terms of uh, when somebody dies and a family when it gets connected now when it's paranormal and it's bad that's a no-no of course it's a no-no right and uh, that's when you have demonic possessions or negative energies residual energies like in the tuberculosis hospital they always bring that that hospital up because there's a lot of uh cases that that took place there uh but you also have demonic but you also have the cases of paranormal like you said indeed that the ghosts are not threatening and they just you know somebody passed away and they just uh linger around yeah, we have those that like to linger and to possess. So we have different types of ghost hunting. It all depends what type of experience 
uh, we should probably ask our audience an opinion, you know, and they could probably leave a comment down below uh, from the podcast if they have had any experience with the paranormal and what have been their experience. That is a great suggestion. We would love to know uh, about you know, paranormal experiences, the good and the bad. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I'm a skeptic. And talking about skeptic, uh, we had a, some evidence. You, need. you took a couple of pictures. How long ago was that? A couple of years back? About two years ago. Yes, it was at our best friend's house up in, uh, what was the name of that city? Middletown? Yes, it was Middletown, yeah, because we call it Middle Finger, because all the drivers uh, stick out their middle finger. <laughs> you had to go there. Yes. So, we were at a barbecue. Wasn't it the 4th of July? I think it was the 4th of July. Yeah. It was a holiday. It was a holiday. But you took pictures with the cell phone looking out of the window towards a vehicle on the front yard. And in one set of the pictures, it was blank. And the next set of the the next picture, you caught an orb, and what looked like to be a face. And we're gonna provide those pictures in the article accompanying this uh, podcast. So at first, we thought it was a a ghost, right? That's what everybody thought. But we thought the same thing too, because you did not know you caught that on film uh, when you first took the picture. You didn't see nothing. Absolutely not. But then we see a face, we see a bright orb, and this is, I forwarded these f pictures over to Jason to get his professional take because in our discussion, we were talking about how does evidence in the paranormal way, and it's how your eyes see things that is not there. You know, it's like uh, it's seeing an image of a, of a teddy bear in a in an ice cube advertising for Lipton tea, you, your eyes perceive that it's there, but it's not really the case. It's just a regular ice cube. Stacy, you, you have you ever had that type of visual that you see in advertising and you think something's there, but it's really not? Um, no, I can't say that I've ever had that. No, not with uh, advertising, at least. Right, and it's a big difference. We're not talking about subliminal messaging. We're talking about how your eyes perceive things that is not there. So in this mm -hmm. case, uh, Enid took a set of pictures back to back. One had an orb and a face, and you know this is one of the questions that always paranormal investigators they come across is they have to recreate. You have to conduct the experimentation. Is this actually a ghost, or did your eye just get caught? you know in in your wild imagination i think looking at the picture now i think nothing was there i think it, all you see is a smudge on the window so do you think you still caught a phantasm in you <coughs> i have no clue whatever you say no 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 you cannot change your opinion do you, you think that that's a ghost there or not yeah? whatever you say uh, ever trying to put you on the spot is not working is it no well any event i know stacy has not had any type of experience with the paranormal or ghost whatsoever no i haven't i uh, know 
uh, I'm curious. I want to. I want to experience that. I know Enid has mentioned her story a couple of times, and uh, Enid has had experience. Yeah, I have, but since uh, you said, I have said it a few times before. And for those who are interested, they could just go back to another podcast and just listen to it. Yeah, but you're not giving the number of the podcast, so they gotta have to listen to each and every one just well, to hear Well, that's up story. to you <laughs> to you know figure it out which one was it. Wow, shame, shame, shame. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, without further ado. Here is our interview with Jason from the Paranormal Den. And the first set of questions that I had forwarded to him were from a skeptic's point of view. Uh, and the second uh, latter part of the interview was more oriented towards the paranormal and their experience as ghost hunters. Uh, my name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. And joining me this afternoon is Jason from the Paranormal Den. Uh, thank you for your time, uh, Jason, and sharing, uh, giving us some insight on this field of research. Yeah, we appreciate it. We're more than happy to. Great. And I'm going to start off with a, basically an icebreaker. Uh, can you please give us a brief introduction on yourself and how you began exploring paranormal investigations? Um, it started about seven years ago. Um, I was kind of just getting into it with my, my brother. We would watch paranormal shows. It kind of sparked a little interest um, as far as wanting to explore the paranormal a little bit. Um, we got really involved, uh, both me and my fian my current fiance, um, as into the paranormal about two years ago in regards to investigating heavily um, and and learning from it as well. Um, it uh, we've had paranormal experiences our whole life, so it actually helped us kind of understand um, as we um, became investigators and well, knowledgeable uh, investigators, uh, it, it actually helped us. Um, so about two years um, heavily, um, but the interest was sparked about seven years ago. Great, thank you. And I'm going to delve into a series of questions, and I'm going to deliver these questions from a skeptic point of view. Um, let's start with the photographic evidence, pareidolia. Uh, this is where the mind finds familiar patterns where there is none. So most of these photographics are easily explainable artifacts that can be easily dismissed. So what's not to say that all of this evidence can be easily debunked? Um, I, I can't um, disagree with you. I mean, I can't really disagree with you in that fact. Um, uh, we are skeptics of our own evidence. Um, we don't like to put anything out there that could be debunked. Um, everything that we try to put out there, even the photos, we'll, we'll let them know that it's always in the eyes of the beholder. Um, we like posting um, like videos of actual energy being caught in the air versus um, a picture of a woman standing in a window or um, a whole bunch of tree branches put together that create one big picture. Yes, 
it's awesome and amazing. And maybe it is um, paradelia, um, but at the same time, when you're getting photos that um, everybody can see the same picture um, and it be relative to the environment, that in itself makes it paranormal. So um, we're not um, huge on posting and promoting pictures where it's easily debunked. Um, but at the same time, if it's relative to the environment that you're in or you ask a question and you see a child that you ask to show themselves, um, in some way that's part of just a, a part of the paranormal as in voices and stuff like that. So, yeah, you want to look at it from a skeptic's point of view um, to eliminate all possibilities. But in the event that it's relative to the environment, I think it's amazing. Um, but, yeah, uh, you have to be skeptical of all that stuff. Uh, great. Um, and I had sent over a set of pictures, and this is a clear case of both weirdness and pareidolia. At first, I thought, that, you know, my wife had captured these, these set of images. And what it looks like to be an orb, and you look closely, there's a face. But after careful analysis, you can see that the streaks on the window kind of make it into something that it's not. So what is your right, opinion yeah. on this? This is a, this is a perfect case. Um, well, my first thought when I looked at the pictures that you'd sent over was, um, you know, even though they were taken in rapid succession, there might have been a minute bit of movement which caused sun, sun, sun glare. Um, on the reflectors that are on that truck. Um, also, being that that little spot on the window um, is a little dirty or has smudge marks on it, um, it could be somebody behind the window taking the picture, light source from a phone perhaps. Um, uh, you know, it could be anything in, in, in that type of, uh, in that type of explanation for it. Um, but I, you know, we've taken many pictures like that. Um, so that's where we kind of go about it. It looks like energy, but it's like you said, um, as far as what the mind wants to see. Um, so in order to give like a definitive answer, I would have to have been there um, and or be there to recreate that same situation and do different types of experimentation. But um that's what I would look at first. Was it behind the window, a reflection off of that? Was it created from the reflect reflector in the brake light from the truck? Um, there's a whole bunch of different types of scenarios that could create that. Absolutely. And I'll be providing those pictures in the article accompanying this podcast so our readers can know what we were talking about here. <laughs> but uh, awesome. yeah, it was pretty it it was a weird uh, scenario there. And, uh, you know, when you capture something on the camera, I know there's a sense of excitement at first, but then mm -hmm. once you're, once that excitement settles and then the scientific side of your brain starts analyzing, things could be, as you had pointed out, it could be debunked for many other things. Right, exactly. Um, and on that subject, we like to pride ourselves in things that you cannot debunk, such as voices coming through in the white noise, um, uh, giving you answers, relative answers, sometimes in full sentences, 
relative to the questions that you're asking. Um, actual energy moving through the air, whether it's static, kinetic, or um, uh, spiritual. Um, it's all unexplainable, and we have that's the type of stuff that we like to provide um, our followers, our listeners, and the people that are really, truly intrigued with the scientific aspect of the paranormal. Uh, great. Thank you. Now that you brought that up, um, there's an, another scientific explanation for that, and it's called apophenia, which is finding patterns in random data. So in the case of EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, and with the ghost box that I've seen you guys in your videos, can these clips easily be dismissed as nothing but apophenia? Well, I mean, it's like like the photos as well. I mean, yeah, you could, um, but if you get to the bottom line, which is asking, for instance, we did um, a little seance in, into Chris Cornell's death, and we were getting his name. It, it's not just fragments of words put together to make you think you're hearing the word. It's actually his name coming through his children, things we didn't even know about the guy, um, in response to, yeah, uh, I do believe that some of them are, um, but as far as relativeness, um, I totally um, uh, like am for um, EVP work and what is being done through with today's technology, um, eliminating false positives, um, with applications and radio signals and stuff like that, um, it does. Uh, it, there, there, when it's relative like that, yes, it's uh, it's it's phenomenal. It's, it, it breaks the boundaries of skepticism. Um, we've turned skeptics into believers. Um, engineers at GE, um, close friends, just from hearing responses and questions that they ask in front of us. So, yes, it can be put aside is is as that but um with how relative it is to the questions in the environment to us it's more real than just that thank you thank you and uh over the years paranormal research uh it makes for great entertainment you have the tv movies and even youtube videos have been racking up thousands of viewers on the topic in your opinion is this what's hurting the credibility of this science, this entertainment factor? Yes, um, it does. Uh, it, it, gets, it gets our mission out, but it also stops it from going anywhere farther than, than a movie or um, a TV show. Um, it doesn't focus in on how we evolve. It just shows where we're at, if that makes sense. It uh, it definitely definitely can stop it. I mean, there there are groups and TV programs that I think that are highly knowledgeable and do give you information and focus on the scientific level of paranormal research. But um, yes, I do think that 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 does hinder um, progress in in our uh, research the video that you have you guys have on facebook the demon house and i noticed that the bible was used during this investigation so what purpose is this is using this particular text and what are your beliefs on using this text for paranormal research 
Um, in that uh, video, um, the child that was actually being affected asked if he could, you know, bring it out. He was really nervous at the time. Um, he felt that that gave him protection. Um, and we noticed that through the ghost box, through a couple applications, and also free air EVPs, the one that we just caught on a recorder without anybody talking, um, we noticed that the activity um, uh, the, on a paranormal level um, would increase whenever we would offer, um, whether it was verbal uh, or um, uh, something solid that that anything could touch or feel, such as the Bible, um, activity seemed to increase. So um, whether it was an intimidation factor, um, uh, whether it was just they enjoyed having that there, um, I, I honestly don't know. But I will tell you that's one of the reasons why we used, um, you know, like props, like a, a doll or a teddy bear when you're around children's spirits. Um to give them something to connect to. So at that house, it was a real bad um, spiritual battle. So we decided, yes, go ahead. If that makes you feel, feel comfortable, bring the Bible out. So we didn't specifically take it with us to use. It, was ju it just so happened that the child there in that house felt the need and felt comforted by having that with him. Thank you. And uh, with this skeptic questions at the side, <laughs> thank you for answering uh, those questions, by the way, thanks. Uh, now we got to delve into what are actual hauntings. So what defines a haunting after you conduct your research? I know you guys uh, interview the, the, the victims. What defines a haunting? Um, well, I mean, Sometimes it's just, uh, it's psychological, you know, somebody feels like they themselves are haunted, they feel like their house is haunted, um, you know, people, it's all about the experience, what is the, the client experiencing, and not just clients, ourselves, you know, uh, we'll be out in cemeteries and stuff, and some cemeteries you can just kind of feel like, uh, the energy after somebody got into a fight in a room, like, you know, you can feel energy, whether it's uh, paranormal or not, you can feel it sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's based on a hundred thousands of different things. Um, it's, it's all on how you feel walking into the situation. So haunted to us doesn't mean it's bad. It could be good. Um, but to investigate and get things that are relative to what's, what they're experiencing or what we're experiencing creates a whole different level of haunted. Um, so there's not no specific way of us to discern if it's haunted or not. It's all about the experience. You know, we go there and gather information, uh, take that information and, you know, give our, our opinion on that. Um, I mean, people and places can be haunted. So, um, uh, in our eyes, in our opinion. So it's not uh, a cemetery. I believe that all, everything, you know, if we're talking from a scientific level, we look at um, spirits as like energy, like we're all made up of energy, and that's how we view it. So we believe that energy is everywhere, you know. Um, so a creepy house doesn't mean that it's haunted. 
Um, it could be a playground, for instance. It could be anything. Anything that that energy enjoyed or was attached to during life. Absolutely. I I agree. There are some uh, places that maintain a sense of residual haunting, and it depends on what the history is about this building. Uh, let's say, for example, um, tuber- uh, tuberculosis hospital, a lot of suffering is there. So you're going to feel that suffering. Is this something that you guys feel or have felt entering uh, a home? Yes. Um, for example, uh, the, the demon house, when you walk into the house, you, you can feel it. Your hair stands up, um, and in certain places of that house, your hair does not go down. Um, whether it's high, um, uh, electromagnetic field, whatever, whatever the case is, there is something, uh, that does affect your energy. It does drain you. Um, I know for about two weeks after we did that investigation, I did not want to go to get out of bed. Um, I uh, th- and this happened with uh, another uh, another investigator that was with us. That I mean, for two weeks we were we felt like we had flu. We weren't sick. Um, so it does. There there are residual and intelligent um uh uh you know the energy that that pulls on you when you go to these places um old jail cells you know you can almost feel uh the the guys that were held captive there for years you know you can almost feel that energy that residual energy and yeah of course you can feel it um whether it's spiritual or just something uh, scientific that we can look at moving through the air. Thank you. And I guess this falls into there's a level of danger that comes into conducting research in the paranormal. And it has less to do with the environment. Most would say that you're bringing something home. Is this, uh, in your opinion, uh, factual or is this a mental um, type of thing uh, from conducting this research? It, it can be both, um, but from our standpoint and with how serious we've been doing it and um, the way we feel and experience uh, those types of things after we do an investigation, yeah, I do believe that, um, I know, I, I mean, I feel it's in our opinion that, yes, it does, like the energy that that was draining you, for instance, at the demon house is still draining you at your house and does until you... Um, either cleanse yourself or um, a lot of times uh, a temporary attachment, which is you know how we see it in the in the paranormal community, will leave on its own. Uh, other times you have to um, take care of your uh, sixth sense and cleanse yourself, and and they will end up leaving uh, that way as well. So yeah, I do believe that um, that energy does use our energy um, or energy sources that are around them to to communicate um, and that that can uh, be fairly rough on your on your body and soul <laughs> absolutely and uh, in an interview in, in uh, episode six of our podcast I had the pleasure of speaking with Christopher St. Booth and he conducts his own field of paranormal investigation he has a a whole range of, of films. 
And one of the things that he had mentioned was that you have to be in tune with your spiritual self in order to absorb these nuances in the environment. Is that something you uh, believe in as well, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. And we we go to, um, we actually started to go to church because of what you just mentioned. Um, and it's not actually the the belief in God, it's the faith behind it. Um, it actually, it does work. Uh, it does have, maybe it's the power of suggestion that it works. I don't know. Um, but I will tell you it does work. Um, so yes, we do have to look into ways to help ourselves in that way a little bit more if we're going to delve into the paranormal, because if you don't, it can have an everlasting effect um, on on you. Thank you. And from your experiences, what are the many types of hauntings that you have encountered? I know we have residuals, we have poltergeists, we have demonic. Uh, do, did you guys have experience in each of these fields? Uh, yeah, um, we've done, uh, we've kind of ran into the um, the whole entity thing in the last year with, uh, you know, what people uh, consider demons or or um, elementals or stuff like that. Um, but we do all of them. We'll go to a cemetery where um, spiritual energy will just communicate nonstop and um, uh, it's not just the dark, the darkness. Um, there's a lot of light behind it and, and what we do. Um, we do seances like the modern version of seances from our own home. Um, we do videos from there too. So it's not, um, just the, the darker side of things. We like to actually focus on the good, good stuff. Um, it's just when a, a family needs help, um, or an individual needs help. Um, it's uh, that's what that's where we dive into. It's, it's it's reaching out to to that aspect. So it's not just uh, the creepy old houses or the um, the the demonic um, aspect of it. It's the whole whole little um, world in the, in the paranormal as far as communication and spiritual stuff. Okay, thank you. And yeah, because that also ties into the entertainment value. Uh, people just tune in. Uh, they want to see the, the booze and the uh, screams and the demons. But there's another side of this type of research. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, the whole we, we did uh, Chris Cor- the Chris Cornell video, and we did that because I have childhood memories of his music playing in the background. So it was, it was one of those things where I felt like I had to do if we could accomplish it. And it was totally amazing. Like, and that was done in our home and, um, like the responses that we got, um, in regards to his kids, um, how he committed the, the, the tragic act of suicide he did. Um, a lot of different things that came out before they were released that, was disclosed in our video. So it was like, you know, those are the things that are a little different for us than going to a haunted location, doing investigation. We're just, in that video, we're just communicating, just like picking up the phone and and talking to them. You know, that's that's the the, the other side of the paranormal that that we like and enjoy. 
Thank you. And um, who, what other organizations or individuals do you guys work with? Let's uh, say you come across a location and you need uh, a cleanse or you need uh, some backup uh, scientific research. Do you guys uh, collaborate with other people in your area? Um, of course, uh, not just in our area. We had a friend that was actually traveling from Alabama to Ohio, which is where we're located. He actually joined us um, in the um, uh, Demon House video, and it was awesome having him there because he was um, well-equipped to um, explain to the individuals how to cleanse their house properly Get in, get them prayers um, that they would need to to, to say. Um, uh, spoke with some demonologists. We have demonologist friends, um, and it, it it does help having the the sources to pull from. I mean, we have friends throughout the paranormal community that we can reach out to um, uh, that are pretty much on standby and ready to give us the information we need at any time. So, yes, we, we do work closely with um, with uh, others in the field. Great. And uh, one last question to close out and now provide an open platform for yourself. Uh, so this question is, a paranormal investigation, not anybody could jump into something like this. What is the preparation, the equipment, the knowledge needed in order to uh, become an investigator in this field? feel that it's experienced. Um, there's no amount of experience that cannot, uh, that won't help you. Um, I thought, or we thought, whenever we first started that, um, you know, we could just hop in this and go from there and be the best in the community, but it's not like that. It's uh, totally an experience learned um, through your own eyes. So, I mean, if somebody's intrigued with it, and wants to do their own little stuff, start out small. I mean, go get one of those ghost boxes that Ghost Adventure sells. See if it's something for you. Test it out, you know, because um, it's not just the people. I mean, it's not the equipment that you buy. It's the people that are behind the equipment that makes the difference in this, in this type of thing. So um, I would say start out small, you know. Build a relationship in the community first, ask questions, and then start doing your own thing. Um, I think that's the best route to go about it. Because um, if you do not, um, as far as um, attachments and stuff, there's a lot of things. You know, if you ain't wearing a hard hat when you're working on a construction site, you might get hurt. So it's the same thing. Just protect yourself um, and ask questions and um I think that it'll be an experience that might change somebody's life. Exactly. And to also tie in is also to do things by the book. You see people, they go inside the restricted areas, no trespassing areas, thinking they'll find a ghost. And that what they'll find is a, a fine for $1,000. <laughs> right. Yeah. Always make sure that you have permission before you go to anywhere that, uh, you know, um, we go to a hospital where we get permission. We haven't in a while, but um, they're tearing it down now, so we can't go up there. But, um, yeah, you always want to make sure that you have permission first. Um, and def definitely, you know, a lot of them are patrolled. Uh, you know, become friends, and even if you do have permission, make sure that you know the layout because they can all be dangerous. 
um, but yeah, definitely want to have permission. Great, thank you. And uh, this is an open platform where you could share your social media, um, where people could uh, access you, where people could contact you in case they have uh, uh, in need of your services. Uh, so the platform is open. Yeah, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash paranormal den. Um, you can also reach us on YouTube. Uh, that's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash paranormal den. And uh, paranormal den official at gmail.com. And you guys can reach out to us anytime for just knowledge or um, if you need help uh, with any type of uh, unexplainable experience you're having. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for this rich information, uh, both from the skeptic side and also uh, from the uh, believer and experienced side. Thank you for your, for your time. Hey, Ken, I really appreciate your time as well, man. Um, it was awesome. Thank you. Exclusive interview, Nick Hunt director writer Safe Place, cast round table interview. Hello? Hello? Can you see me? Can anyone see me? I don't have a lot of time, but if you are seeing this, my name is Lori Hughes, and I need your help. My friends and I are in a lot of danger. Yes. Safe place. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Safe place is in pre-production. The horror film is directed by Nicholas Hunt. He also writes the script alongside Maji Hazen. Andrew J. Robinson and Dominic Santarcerio. The cast stars Laura Jean Mummert, Ashley Mary Nunes, Genoviva Rossi, Jordan Phipps, Kenzie Crutzler, Kat Kimmett, James Robert Taylor. The synopsis, six students attend a party to celebrate their friend's successful art show opening. Their presence triggers memories of a traumatic event in the host's past, and he resolves to positively impact the course of their lives by ending them. Um, we have had the pleasure of a, we have had the pleasure of a, a roundtable interview with uh, director Nick Hunt and um, a wealth of cast members, including including main cast. Um, have you guys watched the trailer? Ken, I'm pretty sure you have. In it, have you watched the trailer? Um, what do you think about the trailer? Well, I watched the trailer and it looks they're not giving anything away. I mean, talk about secrecy. 
and in our roundtable, we avoided any type of questions that were already given, and uh, you know, we try to stray away from the obvious question. We delved on topics such as uh, how defining the character was, your preparation for this character. Uh, we also delved into the topic of horror in general. Uh, everyone is tightly lit, lipped, and so is this trailer. This, they, mm, this is not a slasher film based on the trailer. I don't think this is a slasher film, but yet it's marketed as a slasher film. Hmm. But yet, based on the commentary that they have, uh, you know, several of the actors and actresses have provided, uh, it sounds more like as a psychological thriller. Do you did you get that type of vibe, Stacy? I did, um, and I I agree with you. Uh, I follow Nick on Facebook, and when you say they're not giving anything away, they're not giving anything away. Uh, they it's kind of like they'll give you maybe just little hints here and there, but nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome it really is um but watching the trailer it was very um let's say it was a little intense watching the trailer um especially especially the way she was like dragged away like that but then it cuts out right oh what happens i want to know what happens right. but that's all to the trailer <laughs> right right and uh, like I said, it's they're giving nothing, nothing. And we we actually I did not want anything uh, revealed anyway, because uh, then that would spoil the surprise. It's like, you know, your birthday surprise is coming and you just walk through the door and it doesn't have that effect. So as I stated, we try to evade any type of in-depth questions surrounding the project and the trailer itself speaks for itself it's mysterious the synopsis speaks one way the trailer speaks another and the actors are tightly lit and uh, you just gotta look wait and see when this film comes out uh, perhaps it may release on straight to vod or dvd or maybe it'll have a film festival run uh, before then uh, so in any event, we're gonna have to wait. And uh, Stacy, thank you so much for putting this roundtable together. This is our second roundtable uh, interview that we have had on the on DK Mag podcast. You're very welcome, and thank you for giving me, uh, you know, the opportunity to. I was honored. You're welcome. And part of the cast of the roundtable, we had the director, writer Nick Hunt, we had actor James Taylor, we had actress Genovina Rossi, we had actor Rakeem Devon Hunter, uh, we also had Timothy Noble, which you had forwarded questions uh, to him. Timothy is uh, hearing impaired, so he could not participate in the roundtable, but we did four questions uh, towards him, and be sure to read his replies to our question, which is part of our article accompanying this podcast, 
uh, very emotionally driven uh, replies that he had supplied. I, I read his replies. Wow, powerful statements uh, Mr. Noble pr uh, presented. We also had actress Kat Kimmett, actor John Gettier, actress Jordan Phillips, actress, uh, excuse me, actor Nathaniel Matos. And with Mr. Matos, it, it was a huge coincidence because he is also, well, he was also a Bronx native before moving out and uh, venturing into the Marine Corps. So what a small world. We had a brief conversation uh, on how about that because we are based in the Bronx. Hey. Yes, and a big salute to Mr. Matos uh, you know, for his service in the military. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Yes, definitely. And as I stated, uh, safe place, interesting concept. And uh, Nick Hunt also, he uh, spoke with you in putting this round table together. Yes, yes, um, had a, uh, you know, a chat thread with all of them and it was very easy communication. The whole team is awesome. Yes, they're really yes. nice. They're very laid back, very accommodating. So yes, it was really great. Yes, and this is one of those instances that social media has played a big part in bringing everyone together. And if you stay tuned to our interview, uh, Stacy, you provided one question for them: How the importance of social media in film development? And uh, I see a huge change in the horror industry especially for casting for everything production meetings everything's going to be online via the cloud messaging it's very interesting it makes you almost feel old in a way you must yes. be old. <laughs> right, go ahead no she's done she just wanted to chime oh. in on age <laughs> oh I was going to say, uh, yeah, that's uh, very, and like I said, I follow Nick, so I pretty much keep up with his posts um, a lot. And he's always, you know, calling for people to send in their IMDb links, calling for them to send in any trailers they have, any, um, you know, who's doing what, pretty much, you know. And then there is also some more interactive posts where today, what was it? Um, badly describe your favorite TV show. You know, and I chimed in on that one. So, yeah, he is uh, a great example of social media playing a huge part. Yes, and before I announce our interview, this roundtable interview, I just have to add, Nick Hunt, smart businessman. Uh, spending zero dollar on advertising everything is word by mouth he had a slate of interviews podcast interviews so far the trailer for safe place is, is climbing in viewership and 
not a dime is spent on advertising. It's everything is word of mouth, everything is social media, social campaign, pushing the envelope, being different. That's what you need to be in this industry, different. And the fact that he helps the, the community, he brings in a slate of veterans and a slate of new talent to the roster. And you don't see that, that's not seen in the industry. Uh, you know, you, sometimes you have directors who just want to uh, look for one particular uh, type of actor or actress. And this is totally different. It's breaking the mold and we should have more directors like this. Don't you agree, Stacey? I definitely agree. Yeah, and here we have the interview of our roundtable with Safe Place. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Stacy Cox, staff correspondent, along with founder and editor Ken Artus uh, for DKMag.com. And joining me today is writer-director Nick Hunt. His latest project is Safe Place, uh, which will be released soon. Along with Mr. Hunt is James Taylor, Laura Jima Murr, Genevieve Rossi, Rakeem Devon, Timothy Noble, Kat Kemet, John Gettier, Jordan Phipps, and Nathaniel Matos. We want to thank you all for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Okay, I'm gonna start off with Nick. Uh, based on the hype, you have created quite the antagonist. The average Joe who suffers a tragedy, a tragedy and wants justice, rather than what a lot of directors are doing today with creature-oriented antagonists. What is your method on creating a defining antagonist? Well, you know, that's a really great question. Um, first and foremost, I want to say that what really went into the multi-dimensional character that is Chris Craven is that he really does have that sympathy and that empathy to him. Um, he's not your normal sociopath. Um, he's somebody that he has a reasoning behind what he's doing. And at the end of the day, he truly believes that he is saving these people and that the world is really truthfully this cruel place. And I went to a lot of different inspirations, everybody from Ted Bundy to Jim Jones even Michael Douglas's character from Falling Down when creating and conceiving the character named Chris Craven, which by the way is an inspiration from horror legends Wes Craven and Christopher Lee. You know, one of the things about him is that he had never played this sort of character and that's really what I wanted as somebody that was sort of a baby to this sort of thing. So that when he has a hold of Chris Craven, that he can go completely crazy and do some things that some of his peers who have previously worked with him have never seen before. Thank you, thank you uh, for that response. And uh, my question is for uh, Ms. Kimmett. Uh, there seems to be a lack of multi-dimensional characters in slasher films. It's basically one-dimensional. What is it about your character audiences can connect with? Well, I think the trick with any character, even if um, 
like in those films, it's always the actor's job to kind of bring another dimension to the role. So um, what I found in Lizzie in particular is she she's making up for something. She has a lot going on internally and she's trying to, to be a better friend, be a better girlfriend. Um, and she's got this this guilt that kind of drives her throughout the story. And so I think all of us have that um, those events in our history that we regret and that we're trying to make amends for. And that's what I think people will relate to with Lizzie. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Stacy, let me proceed with uh, Laura. Okay, uh, Laura, your character is Detective Denise Felton, and you are no stranger to horror. One of your recent projects, a clue to Jennifer, where you play a dominant role as well. What are your thoughts on portraying these strong characters? I think for any female actress, it is a blessing to be given such a strong character and um, some characters that have depth and have, uh, you know, some some connection that I can relate to in my own life. Um, you know, being an artist, you know, never really having a big support system in my life. I kind of had to struggle and kind of get on my own. So when it comes to, uh, you know, working with these amazing writers and directors that are see that inside me and give me a chance to bring that out in their character, uh, you know, it's such a blessing to bring that into the character itself and how I can relate to what they could be going through internally with their struggle in life and how much they really depend on themselves to get through the day-to-day. And, um, you know, with such strong characters these days, if I can just do a little bit of a good job um, as a female character and make that strong enough to be just as strong as a male actor doing such an amazing job, then, you know, I can hopefully switch um, the writers and the directors out there to bring more females into these strong characters. So, I don't know. I just really... I. I'm glad that I get to be picked for those roles because, I don't know, it's just, again, it's a blessing and uh, to have the ability to work on that. Uh, Thank you uh, for your response. And my question is for John. Yes. And uh, Safe Place is presented with a dynamic psychological approach with slasher overtones with your role what is the what is the defining internal external conflict you offer um i bring my experience uh to the table uh i do law enforcement outside of the uh the acting industry um so i'm i'm pretty universal um i do like to i do like to play the the law enforcement cop but yeah i've become i've become pretty good at uh playing the cop role. Great, thank you. Uh, Stacy. over to you. James, your character, Chris Craven, the antagonist that we speak about based on the synopsis, uh, how do you succeed at perfecting this antagonist that Nick has created? Well, 
Chris Craven, I don't really see him as the antagonist. I think he is just a little confused, and he's found a way to uh, to release that confusion or just just help the situation. Um, yeah, Chris Craven himself, me as the actor, I am looking at, uh, I love how uh, Nick said it earlier that I'm the baby. I, I appreciate that, Nick. But uh, <laughs> I, I look at it like, you know, this is a character that has had a very serious plan on his life going perfect, everything going well in his life. But and you you see at the beginning, he's just a he's just a, a normal you know guy. He's just doing OK. But he has had something happen to him that has caused him in his personal life to go to a deep, dark place. And me as the actor, I look at it as an opportunity to really delve into things that I have experienced, not personally, but uh, someone that is close to me and being able to put them in a, in a circumstance of tragedy which allows me as the actor to personalize this to become the character that is Chris Craven. He is a very complex character. I'm not judging him. You can never judge your character. You should never do that. But uh, because you as the actor want to be able to really in, you know, investigate and research and become as closely uh understanding of this character as possible and to personalize him is to really see okay what when you unravel all the things that happen in the film what really is his driving force what is his real motivation what is he really trying to accomplish and i want that to be seen in in the uh the film that me as the actor is going, okay, I want to understand him to the point of personalizing his character so that the audience can really see not just some slasher guy that, you know, is, is some new villain, but really what makes him tick and what is the, the complication and what has happened in his life to actually allow I, the audience to have some type of sympathy and to understand that, yes, there is something that went wrong. Yes, he might be the antagonist at the, at the end of the day as people see him, but really what happened in his life to actually allow him to go to this place? That's a very deep uh, insight onto this character. It got us intrigued now. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, my question is for Jordan Phipps. Yes. The cast for Safe Place is comprised of veterans and newcomers to the industry. What were and will be the lessons learned from each other to execute that on-screen chemistry? I think that because we're such a varied mix of people and we're all drawn together by this project, I think that the chemistry is just going to be amazing you know um we all come from such even different parts of the country um you know and a lot of us haven't even met each other yet so i think that coming into this project with a total blank slate with all of these people is gonna make us be our characters 
Interesting. That is a very interesting. Nobody has met each other. Oh, wow. Uh, I know I haven't well, met anybody personally, but um, I'm not sure about everyone else. I, I know that the ladies and I haven't met for sure. Well, I have met Timothy, Nathaniel, um, and I've also met uh, Wes Emily, who is not present. And um, I have also met uh, Timothy Noble. Um, I have not had the pleasure of meeting most of the female cast. Except for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Except for Kat Kappa, who I've worked with, and of course, James Taylor, who I've previously worked with. And Jim Gettier, who I, I, I know. You know. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, Stacy. <laughs> Over to you, Stacy. Okay, uh, my next question is for Raheem. Yeah. Your role is a bit of a mystery. Um, this has to be both exciting and a little frightening. Um, in, any case, <laughs> in any case, you're well aware of what the story is about. How are you mentally preparing for your role? Um, last several weeks, I've been um just looking at all sorts of movies to just prepare myself. And like, I know I'm not don't have one of the major roles, and so I'm looking at all the minor roles in movies that you know make the movie realistic in a sense. So I'm looking at all those little roles and catching those roles. And like, you know what? If this wasn't executed correctly, it will pretty much ruin the whole the whole movie. You know, you have great supporting actors and great lead role, leading actors and everything like that. But if the, you know, the minor roles are not doing their part, then, you know, you don't really set to get yourself a movie. So I've been kind of looking at little roles like that, but I actually do know what I'm doing. Actually, I'm going to actually do workman's working with close with Wes Emblay, um, doing construction on the antagonist, Chris Craven's house, actually. So it's cat's out of the bag now. Awesome. <laughs> Well, Nathaniel, thank you for joining us. I have a question for you. Uh, the casting process was unorthodox. How did you come on board on the project, and how did you assume the role of Tommy? Yeah, I got the when I did when I contacted uh, Nick. It was because you know I saw, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I saw it on the like the Florida Central Florida web casting Facebook page, and um, I figured since I was getting into uh, acting again because I did take a break, you know, I figured I would try this out. So when I was reading through the casting call that the, the actors that he needed, you know, I I felt more comfortable with auditioning for uh, Jack. If I'm... Uh, that's okay with yeah i felt more comfortable auditioning for jack you know i told him that i wanted to audition for jack and he's like okay uh that's fine but i actually want you to audition for tommy and you know i did i did both you know and he uh i said i would do both and i was willing to do both and he you know he agreed with it and he said well you know what i actually have somebody already for jack um, I think you fit, and I think, you know, the script is written for someone like you with your experiences, and I think that Tommy, you'd fit perfect with Tommy, with the, the, the role of Tommy. And I, 
you know, why I would never back down from my opportunity and a chance to uh, perform. So I accepted it. And when I heard how he was doing the casting calls, you know, I found it very unique. And, you know, being normal in any industry or any way in life, you know, it's when you, whenever you're normal and you don't have something that stands out, you know, you're not going to stand out. And him doing this casting call on Orthodox, you know, it stands out already, which means the film itself is already going to stand out. It's, it's going to stand out no matter what. It's already, that ball's already rolling to, uh, to stand out for the viewers. Uh, Stacy. All right. My next question is for Genevieve. You are definitely no stranger to horror even winning the Best Actress Award for The Abducted. Congratulations for that. Thank you, thank you very much. Why is it important for women in horror to show masculinity and how do you succeed in this in safe place? Show masculinity? Yes. Huh. Well, you know, the thing in safe place that's actually kind of interesting for me is that in a sense, I think I'm showing Kind of a, I'm a rather feminine or more, more traditional character than maybe I usually play, but I like that because it kind of, uh, kind of uh, expands the dynamic. But you know what, Sarah Craven is a married woman. She has a daughter and she's pregnant with her second child, and she doesn't really know her husband as well as she thinks she does. So I guess she's kind of in a traditional role, but it's like a dramatic role, you know. Um, I don't know if she's a very masculine role. I would say she's a very nurturing and motherly role, though. You know, a strong, you know, female character, for sure. Mm. I wouldn't say she's very masculine. I've had other more masculine roles, you know, as, like, soldiers and things like that, and, you know, police officers and cops and Satanists and other films. And I've played a mother a couple times. But, uh, yeah, you know, I just feel like uh, Sarah is just somebody... You know, so often, she's very relatable, because so often we're in these relationships where we think we know someone, and uh, we don't. My friends and I are in a lot of danger. His name is Chris Craven. When we met him, he seemed cool, but then we followed, followed him home. He's gone crazy. He's babbling about death rituals and saving us from the world. And I don't even know how, how many friends of mine are still alive. Okay, this will be a group question. Uh, people who are opposed to horror cinema like to downplay the industry. Uh, why do you all think it's an important part of not only cinema entertainment, but of society? Oh, my gosh. Nice. A, it, I was going to say, let's start, let's start with the ladies first. Um, I guess I'll go ahead. Well, I would just say it's another part of human experience. And I think every emotion is something that we need to explore and tap into. And um, I think as artists we're always curious and we're always trying to find out um, new things about just humanity in general. Um, it's fallibility, all the, the things that can go wrong. 
what can happen in someone's life. It's always a question of how could this happen? Um, so I think I, I don't really differentiate the genres much, but I do hear about people down um, putting down horror films for multiple reasons. One reason is they just they don't really care for it. Um, they don't like being scared. And that's, you know, personal opinion. The other thing I hear a lot is they just they dislike it for um, religious or philosophical reasons. And that's when I kind of disagree that it should be um, kind of kicked down the way it is because it's it's a valid part of human experience. The fear, the explorations and what can happen, what can go wrong. Um, it's all just storytelling. It's all just exploring humanity. Thank you for that uh, insight, Kat. Uh, anyone else? Uh, yes. Um, I guess to continue on what Jordan was saying, is I completely agree with her, you know, as far as one thing with horror that you can play with that you can't really play with with other genres is you can... Um, your comedy and your drama and, you know, all the emotions in a film in horror that you can't really play with too much in other films because they are so very specific to what they are. And I think for the people that are in the horror scene, that's what they like to play with. They like to play with um, how far they can push a film, uh, whether that's dramatic or comedic and where, how they can mold that together to make it a horror in itself. And then also, they can be very um, uh, philosophical in the sense of, you know, as they add in certain meanings or they talk about certain things that people on a general basis are afraid to talk about. And I think, for me, that's why I do love horror films, because they do push you to think about things that... Um, you won't really normally want to think about on a day-to-day and then you do and you're like oh you know like that sucks but you know I, I need to think about that every once in a while to put myself in that perspective mm-hmm. and um I yeah and I think on just on that note that's kind of why I love the scene I love the horror scene I think um I'm not speaking for everyone but I think for the most part that's why we kind of are all here is like we want to just play and tell a story of what you were just saying about that pushing the envelope and that sort of thing it's reaching into a place that a lot of people are afraid to go yeah i like that as well definitely and um you know something for me that i really like about the horror scene is um my family is native american and so you know urban legends and kind of scary stories were historical for us um you know throughout all of humanity people have told those urban legends scary stories around the fire as like a bonding experience it's you know we've been doing it for years and years and years so i think that the fact that you know horror is coming kind of i feel like it's making more of a comeback now than ever um i think that's great you know we're doing what we originally have done by telling scary stories yeah absolutely and nick care to chime in on this one yeah, um, you know, to me, people are, it's all about preconceived notions. You know, with horror, 
a lot of people don't like horror because of the continuality of it. They don't like to expect the same thing. That's why I think we really have an opportunity with, with something like Safe Place to really throw a grenade into the mix, so to speak. And what I mean by that, I was explaining to somebody earlier that, you know, people are going to go into Safe Place and initially they're going to look at it and they're going to think that this is like 99% of everything else they've ever seen in the genre. But eventually, curveballs are going to be thrown your way as an audience member. And things are going to happen that are going to be abnormal to you and that are really going to surprise people. And, you know, the, the great message about Safe Place is, you know, even though it's a very morose and very violent and very visceral movie, um, there is sort of a positive message behind it, that the world truthfully is this terrible place that you have. And that's the message that I'm really trying to project with this. And I think that once people see the feedback, because in this business, it's all about the feedback. You don't judge, you know, there's a saying that you never judge a movie by the first week that it's released. Because everybody will go see a movie that looks good the first week of release. But it's that second week, once that word of mouth hits, once the water cooler conversations start, you know, and that's really what is going to drive something like this film, is that once people see that it's not your normal everyday slasher film, then, you know, I think we're going to be, you know, cult status. But, you know, I'm a very positive guy. So. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you there. It's definitely going to be called status. I'm putting it out there. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I mean, I mean if, we can, if we can't deliver on this one, then how are we going to deliver with Safe Place to Electric Boogaloo? You know? No. <laughs> exactly. That, that was a joke. That was a joke. Not, not actually a title, guys. <laughs> and, uh, Stacy? Uh, Nick. Yes. As you know, I follow you on Facebook and I keep up with your posts. I love how you are a big advocate for opportunities. Always accepting of others' talents and projects. Uh, why is this an important quality to have in this industry? Well, you know, at the end of the day, this is a community. And it's a business of give and take. We need to be appreciative of one another when we have the opportunity in this great nation to make art, as opposed to battling each other and competing with each other. It's just not something that should be. Um, I, you know, a lot of people don't realize that this for me is a 24 hour a day, seven a day, seven day a week job. If I'm not promoting myself or if I'm not promoting safe place, I'm promoting somebody else or something else. I'm constantly on there giving people the opportunity to take advantage of my network and my friend base in order to better themselves. Uh, everybody knows from the beginning, especially in this cast, that I stick my neck out for people. And it's a rare quality to have. And that's something that I always said that I wanted to do in this business. And that's something that, you know, I always wanted to create something that was mutually beneficial for everybody. 
because at the end of the day, art can't exist without community and art can't exist without life for inspiration. And that's what we're doing is we're, we're using art and we're, we're making it for ourselves. And I'm putting, you know, there's a reason why 17 months before production, we're going out there and we're creating a presence for us. And I'm putting all these people in the public's faces is so they can know the great talent that they've never heard of. All these people may not be experienced per se, but a lot of them are experienced in their own ways. And a lot of them have experience that is bounds over some others. And a lot of them have one or two projects that stand out. But you know what? To me, they're all equal. To me, I treat them as all equal. And, you know, I've always lived by the philosophy you treat others the way you want to be treated. That is uh, very profound. Uh, and I just hope uh, other filmmakers, and especially in the industry producers, have the same type of mindset, which is unfortunately not, not the case. Pat, yes. the social commentary for a safe place, it seems to revolve on survival, but this is just on the surface. What is about the narrative that became deep and philosophical from your interpretation of the script? Um, um, well, I think it, it reaches down to uh, a, a deep chord as far as, I mean, the first thing that I think of is existentialism. Um, not sure how deep down this rabbit hole I want to go, because um, I don't know everyone's background in in philosophy. But it's 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 nihilism. It's you know what's the point to all of this? It's um, the meaningless and meaninglessness and futility to recovery, and that's what kind of spirals everything downhill. And wouldn't it just be better if? Um, and that's. That's kind of what I'm most fascinated with because um, philosophy as a study is something that I'm fascinated with in just my own personal hobbies. So that's what drew me to this script at first anyway, was that um, that interesting twist where it goes really far down into the human psyche and um, what it actually takes to push someone over the edge. Mm -hmm. You see, that was philosophical right there without being philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely said, Kat. Very. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, um, I'm going to ask a couple more group questions. Uh, one is, um, how has social media become an important tool to have in this industry? Oh, goodness. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I got this part because of social media. So, I mean, if that tells you anything, social media is definitely the way that actors from all over the country are connecting with each other. We're communicating, we're sharing each other's products, and it's a way to connect with writers, to see other films. It's, I don't know where I would be without social media, honestly, when it comes to my acting career. I agree with that. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, social media is an incredible tool, and um, it's it's basically how you 
promote yourself and your talents and um, network with people like she said like all over the all over the country and all over the world i've met um other actors and uh writers playwrights even from as far as uh like london the uk and it's all from social media you know it's it has completely changed the industry in terms of how people connect and also how we find out about projects or audition um most of the times that i've seen auditions posted uh as of late they've asked for taped auditions sent through email um and sometimes even they ask for submissions sent through Facebook, through Facebook Messenger. And that's the easiest way to get in touch with people. Also, Facebook me messaging app for being on set and for keeping in touch with um, everything that's going on is so tremendously helpful. Um, I, do, I do feel comfortable doing it this way because, you know, there's no... There's nothing wrong with the traditional casting, you know, it's been done for years now, you know, the, in the traditional way. But just because you do something, you know, that way for so long, it doesn't mean you're always getting the best result. And I feel like since most films are not filmed on actual film, it, uh, you know, it allows for more wiggle room as well as the audition shit too. Because if if an actor does a video audition for the director or the casting uh, the casting director, and you know they don't like it or they you know something happened in the background or someone was distracted or you know the they were thrown off a little bit by uh, you know the uh, the person who's casting, you know, their phone beeped or they picked up their phone for one second. You know, sometimes that takes people out of uh, the auditioning process, you know. It's no different than, you know, silencing your phones in a theater. If it if it takes the viewer out of the out of that moment, it's gonna take the actor out. You know, and I've been I've been in uh casting rooms and you know, I'm no sh I'm no shy person to going in front of people. You know, I've had to do that in the military, too, when it comes to uh, getting promoted and stuff. You know, but I feel like the best you're going to get a really genuine performance and a really worked on performance audition from a video because that person is going to be able to review and criticize themselves and then send that or reshoot that video with even more commitment and more emotion instead of that one chance that they get. And, you know, being at a certain location, it just limits, it limits the, it, it limits the amount of actors you get, no matter what, you know, anybody says, you know, the next tomorrow I can't pick up and fly to a casting call in LA or New York, you know, that's not everybody's life, but you never know, you know, there might be a kid, you know, in middle America who's just killer actor. He just can't make it out to those casting calls and technology. And it comes to video audition that he can, you know, he can make that part, you know, and it will, you know, social media will provide him the platform and, uh, 
you know, and the outreach that he needs. I completely agree with Nathaniel, um, you know, because what, what it was, was I believe that the audition process is incredibly impersonal. I believe that people tend to go in their nerve-wrecked and they go in and, you know, people are staring at them and they're in this plain, you know, unwelcoming room. And to me, you will never get a true, powerful performance out of somebody. But if you give somebody the freedom to not only choose the material that they're submitting, but also the means to do it at their own pace, you know, then I feel like you achieve a better performance from people. I will be clear that I did use a little bit of the audition process with Lara. Uh, the reason being was that it was the Detective Felton role was a very, very difficult role to fill. And um, I wanted to make absolutely sure that whoever came onto the role, um, you know, that they, uh, they really, really were that role. Oh, but thank you. Nobody, nobody else had to, so I, 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 I tortured Lara more. <laughs> it was good. It's good as an actor, though. It's such a good. It's a. It's an amazing process to be, mm-hmm. you know, to work with a director and have them kind of again, like in the film, in horror itself, like pushing you to be the best you could be, and you know, and I was determined to to show Nick, you know, what I could do. And it was just kind of, you know, it was kind of the best audition process I ever had. Yeah. And Nick can tell you, I ended up crying when he called me. <laughs> and told me I had the part. I was like, oh, my God, I have it. <laughs> yeah, you have to understand, everybody, everybody else really, you know, can, can thank their peers and their friends and their family um, for being cast in Safe Place at the end of the day because it's them that really showed the support behind the people that are the cast of Safe Place and gave me the confidence in order to bring them on. Um, you know, like I said, it was very unorthodox the way I went about this, but, you know, I trust in my decisions and I trust in the public. I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna save who I can. Please. If you can see this, tell someone, tell the police, anyone, just tell someone. Uh, well, my question is for uh, Jordan. Uh, you replaced a previous actress for the role of Rachel, is that correct? Yes, yes, I did, actually. Uh, um, when did you come aboard on the project? And is this one of those examples that a role uh, waits for a particular performer? I believe that, you know, everything does happen for a reason. Um, you know, sometimes, especially in the arts and where people are creative, you know, sometimes people's personalities and minds just kind of clash and, and things just don't work out. But I believe that things don't work out for a reason. And I just happen to be at the right place at the right time when um, Nick posted that he was looking for a replacement actress. Um, So, you know, I am sort of a newcomer to all things horror and and filmmaking. And, you know, I was really interested in Nick's work because he is such an advocate for 
all of the artists around and I think that's awesome. So I really do think that this was meant to happen and I really hope that I can bring what everyone wants to see from Rachel to the table. Okay, uh, Nathaniel, uh, the script for Safe Place, it, it ties in with uh, being redefining and is also being described uh, in comparison to other films. Now, when you read the script, what really stood out for you uh, as opposed to it being so different from all the other slasher films or uh, that already re were released? Well, um, sorry about that. What, uh, what stood out to me was that every, every character and every role in this film is, uh, it's not uh, a role that you can um, basically immediately identify. Like, I mean, a lot of horror films, it seems like you can already tell who's, you know, who's going to be left. And I feel like that's, uh, you know, it's what really hurt the horror genre and, you know, in general. Because no one wants to watch a movie that they know it's going to happen. That's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a script. That's one of the big problems that people always say not to write in the script. Try to, try to, not, uh, try to not let the audience be able to predict what happens next. And I feel that in this script, it's, uh, you know, there's just no telling where it's going to go. You know, it follows a good, uh, it follows a good story arc, but there's just no, you know, there's no definite 100% way for the audience to just, you know, predict the movie. You understand? Could I jump in on this sure. one? Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, I don't think the two ideas are mutually exclusive as far as being something new and also playing, uh, paying homage to classic um, things that are already out there. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go on a different topic, but it's, it's kind of in my mind. I, my head goes straight to uh, La La Land that did this in a very different way, but it was a new project that they had had elements that paid homage to other projects um other hints of things so you can you can have something that is brand new and tackles a totally different subject but have flavors and elements that are reminiscent of something classical and something that's nostalgic and that um brings someone back if that makes sense yes it yeah does. I, I think she said it really well um you know, sort of that indistinguishable quality that Safe Place has that sets it apart from all of the others, you know? And, mm. um, you know, one of the things that I, I really would have to say is that, you know, it, it really has that heart and that care that you don't see in slasher movies. Mm -hmm. um, the people that you see, the characters that you see aren't indispensable. And that you're, you're not really going to, you know, again, see it the things that you're really accustomed to. And, you know, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really great quality um, yeah. to sort of set yourself apart because so many uh, characters are dispensable. And that's, uh, you know, I mean, people are characters for a reason. Why waste 
good characters and good actors on people that are just going to get murdered for, you know, no reason. There has to be meaning behind everything. I I think that's what's going to set it apart, honestly, is having... um, We have a great cast. We have a a cast of of, um, artists and talented professionals that take this seriously. And something that you see when actors really put in the work and and take a project seriously is you you find that the the characters have another element to them they have something more than um even beyond the writing there's there's this the heart of that person that is working on the role is kind of influences the direction of of that character um and it adds this extra element to it i think there's there's a lot of a lot of the problem with horror films that are out right now is that when someone gets a side character when when there's um roles that are not quite as prominent, I think people just kind of neglect the character study and the work and that's something that I don't think we have a danger of in this project, which makes me very very excited because that means that there's going to be so much depth in in all of it and everything is going to be this this tangle of humanity that's really going to elevate the project oh yeah i would definitely love to hear uh what genevieve thinks about this genevieve how about you well i think one of the most remarkable things about the film is that nick kind of handpicked all these cast members all these professional actors from all over the country and he's bringing us together and I think that shows um, that this is a film of another caliber, that he really put a lot of time into this. And I also like that he has so many strong female characters, uh, minority characters, diverse actors that he's bringing into the film that I think is really unique for the horror genre. And, you know, and I've seen it online actually referred to as a horror movie and also as a thriller I'm not sure, you know, exactly, you know, maybe it kind of straddles both genres a bit, you know? Um, I, I but, think it's know, up to, you know, it's, it's really its own interpretation. Exactly. Because a lot of films like Silence of the Lambs, you know, are both thrillers and horror movies, you know. Um, so perhaps, you know, sometimes I think we, you know, a horror movie that has a lot of depth and great characters and a great script and great actors kind of straddles both of those genres. And perhaps that this is a film that certainly does that. You know, and, um, you know, we had gone to, on to another question before about the horror genre and, you know, being in the horror genre sometimes I think is a blessing and a curse. Sometimes people make these uh, often false generalizations of what a horror movie is and what kind of actors are in a horror movie and that maybe you're not actors of the best caliber or if it's not. But, you know, the horror genre encompasses such a wide variety of subgenres and of films themselves that, um, you know, I don't think that's a, a correct thing to ever uh, make that judgment. You know, a lot of times when we're in a horror film with the special effects, with the stunts and everything else, you might have only one take to get your scene right. Um, there's a lot of pressure, and I think actors in other genres can't fully appreciate uh, the high pressure and the intensity of acting in the horror genre. And I think everybody in the cast certainly is aware of that and is going to be bringing forward all their talents, you know, for safe place. Well, you know, there's, there's definitely, uh, 
you know, like Kat was saying, a big conglomeration of different actors here with different calibers. And the depth of the characters is really going to be seen. Um, one thing that I did want to talk about, and I kind of want to kind of move this direction, is is that, you know, there's so much mocap and so much, you know, computer animated graphics, you know, and special effects that really takes away from the realism of being scared, you know, and, and uh, Safe Place, I read the script and at first I didn't really see a horror movie. I mean, I, I, I looked at the first time I read it, I was like, I don't really see a horror movie here. I think this is more of like, it's just, just complicated that he's just trying, you know, Chris Craven is trying to find a way to resolve a lot of his, uh, you know, uh, demons that he has. But, you know, when you start looking at, at horror films today, if we take everything and go totally, you know, to the direction of, you know, computer graphics, everything, it, it takes away and it makes it completely fake right then. And, and it does not take the audience on the journey of what I feel Safe Place is going to do. And it's going to take them on the journey from from the whole character, and not only you know Chris Craven, but all of the characters in the film. There's something specific, and it, and it's really nice how they're how they're um, how they're actually their characteristics for each one of the characters is set up because each one of them is different, and they work together. And um, at the very end, you know, you see what happens. I'm not going to tell you, but but you see what happens that, you know, it took the audience on an amazing journey. So it didn't have to have a lot of special effects. It didn't have to really go into a lot of the ways horror movies are today, where it's just like a quick scare and it's over. You know, it really gets into the psyche and the, the depth of the really seeking, okay, and having a sympathy for Chris Craven and not only the, the, uh, you know, his victims or however you want to look at it, but also for him as the character. So I feel like, you know, we could really, you know, do this movie right by just taking all of our talents, our abilities, and really delving into and researching the characters. And we'll have an amazing movie. I really am believing that. Definitely. And I'm happy, I'm happy that we can, we can give them one because, you know, it, Practical effects, you know, versus, you know, computer-generated images, you know, it's, they've been going to war for a while now, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with CGI. Everybody loves a good CGI, you know, even, you know, a bunch of horror movies, they have CGI in it now, but, you know, that blood, when it comes to blood and when it comes to practical effects, uh, you know, you can tell, you can tell put in the work, you know, if a whole team put in the work of a whole team of uh, the, the visual effects artists. Not that they don't work hard, but, you know, you can, someone who's really in the horror, you know, really into uh, indie horror and as well as, uh, you know, big budget horror, you know, they're looking for that. And, you know, we're not, we're not, it's not that we're not making this uh, film for people who are into big budget films, but we want 
to we want to satisfy you know everybody from the smallest viewer to the you know to a big viewer and that's very important especially in slasher films because uh, in my opinion basically all these slasher films have the same template whereas uh, um, easily disposable uh, characters um, so I, I guess, yeah, back to the original question, which is, you know, kind of that contradiction, like what makes safe place, um, you know, what, what is that about? Cause usually, you know, in, in a horror genre, when you hear safe place or, you know, and a certain title like that, you automatically assume, oh, it's going to be the opposite of that. Um, but, uh, you know, going back to kind of cat's mentality, uh, you, you know, if you dive deep and you dive into the characters and you dive into who these people are, and it kind of goes to what we've all been saying um, this whole evening, which is uh, these characters, uh, what Nick actually was saying about how these characters, each one of them in this film is very important. And in that sense, I think that is uh for the group specifically that uh, come together in this in this film, that they're all friends and that's their safe place, that's their safe haven. And for Chris K- Craven's character, he has uh, the what he's struggling, what he's going through. Uh, he has to uh, do these, uh, you know, these certain habits. He has these certain habits that is his safe place. And for my character, um, Detective Denise. Felton, she has her uh, uh, certain ways of going about uh, her day-to-day. That is her safe place. And I feel like um, every character is so in-depth when you watch this film. They each, in their own right, have a safe place within their soul. And that, I think, is where this film, as far as going into the depth of it, where it's coming from. And through that, it's find looking at this film and looking how each character uses their safe place to get through the struggles of what they're going through within the story. Um, I guess that's it. That's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So that's, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it, when you watch this, and that goes back to what James is saying, you know, is um, you can look at it, it um, and maybe not look at it as a horror film because Nick and his writers have done such a great job at pushing uh, the horror genre in a way that really hasn't been done yet when it comes to creating each character and their development and their story and their background. And you wouldn't assume that when you go and watch a film, specifically a horror film. But with this one, um, I feel like every audience member is going to be able to relate to a certain character at one point. Yes. And that, that's what makes it so great. And so I think as an audience member, at one point in the film, you will feel safe because you find certain aspects of each character that makes you feel like you can relate to them in your personal life. Horror films, most actors and actresses, uh, they tend to complain so much that it's physically demanding, but uh, that comes with its territory for for horror. Um there is a sense of elevation over action films in terms of being physically demanding. So with that in mind, is there an approach 
that everyone has a mindset coming into performing their role for safe place? Um, my mentality is pretty much the same with any project as far as that goes, and it's try to be the hardest working person in the room. That's what, you know, I've been taught in um, coaching and conservatories, and that's what's helped me move farther than I ever thought possible in every project. So that's the biggest thing is just be willing to put in the work, whether it's physically demanding or not. I mean, that's something that's usually you find out before you even get on set. And that's something you can prepare for ahead of time. So it's just a matter of being willing to work your butt off. There will be, uh, you know, uh, all the, there's quite a few roles in Safe Place that are extremely physical. Um, there, there's quite a few of you actors that I'm actually taking, uh, you know, pretty much to the limit. Uh, I, I know one of the actors who's not here right now who probably has the one, one of the most physical and uh, gut-wrenching scenes in the entire movie is Eva East. And uh, I can't really say too much. But uh, for those of you who have read the script, you know about the milk jug scene. Yeah. So, um, and she fully wants to do that. And, um, you know, as much as she can possibly take, and and that's very admirable to me. um, Because, you know, it it is to the naturalness of the entire picture to me. So, you know, know, physicality is a very big part. I think everybody is more than capable. Yes. Absolutely. To add on to that, I must say, though. Um, yeah, to add on that, even just more being just physical, I think you have to be mentally prepared. Because you can, you know, be all physical all you want to, but you're not mentally prepared for, you know, the action you're about to do, say, like you said, the nut tuck sheen or anything else, just with vigorous work and hard work. If you're not mentally prepared, ready to have that determination to accomplish what you need to accomplish to make that role what it needs to be up to be, then, you know, that's, I, that's why I like it. You have to be mentally prepared. That's in almost any aspect of life or anything you're doing. So same way, I look at it the same way, you know, in roles and acting and such, you have to be mentally prepared for anything to come your way. So if it's something physical, physical you know, you're meant to prepare for that thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I was going to interject that, you know, that's another thing with the horror genre. It's a very physical genre. You know, these fight scenes, the things that the villain has to do, a lot of stunt coordination, a lot of things that aren't fully appreciated by people watching the film and understanding the actors, you know, a lot of uh, fight choreography that you have to learn. And that, you know, plus your dialogue, plus your dramatic acting skills, and plus, obviously, with indie films, especially with horror films, uh, you know, there's a certain risk of being injured. But I think it's really, really important for horror actors. Really, really good shape mentally and physically. And I've been noticing a lot of the guys and girls that are involved in the film um, seem to be very fit physically and ready and raring to go. So good for us, you know. Indeed. Definitely. Try to keep my physique, uh, you know, up to par. Um, absolutely, I agree 100%. I mean, you have to have, you have to have some sort of physical ability to, to do the roles that you know that you're required to do. I mean, you can't just, 
fall down and with no mats or anything like that. I mean, if you want to look real and good, you've got to you've got to be, you know, physically fit at least a little bit. You have to know stunt choreography and and things like that. That's something that I'm sure majority of all of us actors and actresses try to uh, try to maintain is our bodies. Absolutely. I said I wouldn't be anywhere without my girlish figure. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say, though, you know, as an actor, your body is very much like your instrument. You know? It is. Very, very important, I believe, physically fit. You can't have, uh, you can't take care of yourself. Are you going to, you know, take care of other people when it comes to, uh, you know, families and friends and stuff like that and when it comes to uh, when it comes to being physically fit in uh you know a horror film it's definitely it's definitely important because you know there's not that many films where you're where you're going to get uh you know that first take is going to be perfect that's not that's not something that's you know that's not something that happens maybe on a magical day you know but we don't live in a we don't live in a fairy tale world so those running scenes and you know other physical scenes they're going to be done a lot and they're going to be uh and that becomes physically demanding you know i have no doubt that people are going to leave with uh bruises and you know and bumps and stuff but you know that's uh that's uh that's the game we play you know if it was uh if it was easy we you know people wouldn't do it everybody's going to lose limbs and you know uh can be very dangerous we're shooting in the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> Somehow, I doubt that. <laughs> Can't wait. Be <laughs> sure to pack lots of mosquito repellent. <laughs> it's yeah. Gonna, yeah, we're not, we're officially changing the title to safe to safe tent, and it's going to take place in the entire thing in a big tent in the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> whatever, whatever saves it. <laughs> I know. So, um, Great. yeah, that's my, uh, that's my opinion on, uh, being, uh, physically fit. One of the most important things, definitely. Yeah. Uh, my last question is, um, what is in the future for everyone? What are your projects coming up? Just wrapped, uh, a comedy motivation, kind of a motivational speech parody, like, uh, all the ones you see on YouTube where they're saying like never give up and stuff. I made a basically a parody of that. And I just finished that like maybe a couple of days ago with people involved. So. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Jordan, what about you? What are you working on or have coming out? Um, for me, I have my first feature that I was the lead in, Close Calls, coming out this August. Um, I also have a horror anthology, 1031, um, directed by Rocky Gray. I also was just cast in a web series that's going to be filming in Nashville. It's like a comedy, so it's the complete opposite side of what I've been doing lately. But I'm really excited to expand and do other things. Uh, what about you, James? What what else are you working on? Oh, nothing. No. <laughs> uh, currently, I'm working on a project called Runaway, 
where uh, I play a father to a girl that gets uh, kidnapped and put into a sex trafficking ring. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, very emotional. Uh, uh, also got cast uh, today in a film called The Art of Sin. Pretty excited about. Um, so you can think what you want on that. <laughs> but it's a, it's definitely going to be a, a, a good good short film for that. Um, and um, got a couple of other ones I can't really talk about yet, but excited about. one's going to be filming in Hawaii and the other one's going to be filming uh, in L.A. So uh, we're pretty, pretty excited about those. Uh, and also just finished up uh, a parody from NU Films called uh, um, the, Pir the Pirates of the Caribbean, which was a cross between uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, excuse me, yeah. Uh, and uh, Pirates of Bay, shoot, I can't even say it. Pirates <laughs> of Baywatch. So uh, it's oh. a parody of Baywatch and Pirates of the Caribbean. So Captain Jack washes up on the shore of the beaches of Baywatch, and uh, yeah, it, uh, it was a. And I uh, just finished up another uh, parody called uh, the Game uh, uh, Game of Minions. So it was. Um, you know, a parody between the Game of Thrones and uh, the Minions movie uh, with Anu Films also. So, um, yeah, I'm staying pretty busy. And um, also just finished up a uh, new uh, pilot series called Counterintelligence, where I play an agent, uh, Ty Roberts. So that's kind of what's going on with me. Cool, cool. And then um, Genevieve, I know you... What do you have coming out besides Death House, like the Expendables of Horror? Uh, what, what do you have besides uh, Death House coming out? Well, Death House is supposed to be getting a theatrical release, at least limited theatrical release. I'm waiting for news on that, so I'm super-duper excited about that. I recently also went to the premiere of Death at a Barbecue, which is um, an anthology feature, and I have a movie, uh, a short film in that called The Abducted, which has won 14 awards so far, including I won Best Actress at L.A. Shorts Awards uh, Film Festival. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And then I'm super excited because my directorial debut, Attack of the Killer Chickens, is going to two more film festivals in Las Vegas, Nevada in August. It's going to Action on uh -oh. Film and Hollywood Dreams, both rather prestigious uh, you know, film festivals. The first time I ever directed anything, so I'm really happy it's gotten a couple nominations and it's going to so many film festivals. I'm really thankful to my amazing cast and crew. You know, it's a te it's teamwork. All these films, it's teamwork. Nobody can do it alone. You know, you always got to remember that. Um, so, of course, excited about Safe Place. Excited about uh, Mr. Bones of Short I shot recently. Excited about Mr. Blue Shirt Inspiration. Um, my friend Robert Mukes and I are in that with a whole bunch of really cool people. It's kind of a fantasy film. So I want to shout out for that. Uh, Toxic Tutu, which is a mockumentary of the Toxic Avenger. Um, really excited about that one. Um, the Lich, which I'm honored to be in, uh, working again with James Balsamo. Tom Sizemore also stars in The Lich, so I'm super excited about that one. Uh, just so many uh, projects coming up and things going on. I just got booked for a shoot on uh, this Thursday, in fact, that I'm not allowed to talk about. But, uh, you know, everything is really, you know, I'm thankful. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Birmingham Horror Convention, Birmingham Horror Con. 
um, the weekend of October 28th, I will be in the United Kingdom at Birmingham Horrorcon um, with some people from Chucky, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Nightmare on Elm Street, signing autographs and meeting fans. Awesome. Thank you all Sweet. so much. Sweet. Uh, Rakim, do you have anything coming out or uh, anything you're working on soon? I'm actually doing a lot of dentures right now because, to be honest, I actually just got back into the mode of acting. And since, uh, like I said, uh, Nikki can come and speak on that behalf. Like I said, I just got back on social media and, you know, and made Nick reconnect this. And, you know, so l- luckily and thankfully that the role is actually still available. You know, so, and I realized that, you know what, it's time for me to get back in top gear and get back into my acting. Because I, I kind of bowed out of that for a little while. So I'm, you know, picking up some auditions and, you know, waiting on words from here, a few little things like that. But um, that's pretty much what awesome. I'm doing, doing some auditions right now, you know, trying to get back into it. Sky's the limit, man. Uh, John, what about you? If you can talk um, about. Uh, yeah, what I can talk about. Um, I've been, I've been kind of a ghost lately. Um, my, my Facebook has been pretty, pretty bland, uh, due to that reason for, you know, signing confidentiality agreements and whatnot. But, um, I've, I've got a lot of things going on locally, uh, locally shot in Florida in central Florida. Um, I've been doing the commute back and forth to Georgia <laughs> pretty, pretty heftily. It's a long drive. I don't yeah, know. If, uh, for those of you who don't know, John, it does some some uh, bit roles and some very high profile projects in and throughout Georgia. Um, he's just not at liberty to talk about some of those. Yeah, it's uh, they make you sign the confidentiality agreements. So you, I mean, the only thing I can really say is it's superhero movie. That's that's about all I can say. Oh, that's um, awesome! Congrats. Set aside from that, I've awesome. got a movie coming out this year. I played a local cop in a in a Al Pacino flick. Uh, it's supposed to be pretty good. But set aside from that, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work with uh, with everybody in Florida. Sweet. Awesome. Sweet. Trying to stay busy. Cat, what about um, you? I've been doing a lot of shorts and indies lately. Um, I just wrapped up a couple. The most recent is um slow deaths that one hasn't actually been finished in editing yet but that one will be going to festivals and the director of that um a lot of his previous films have gotten into sundance and the can film festival so i'm very excited to see where that one uh how far that one goes and then I wrapped up this past weekend another feature that I was on called Cost of Vengeance. And that one will be finished later this year, I believe. Um, Done in editing and post and all of that. Uh, And then I have a couple features later on this year. And next month I have two more short films that I'm doing. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I guess that leaves, uh, is there anybody else besides me? That hasn't uh, talked no. about their future projects? No, uh, Jordan weighed in. Uh, yeah, the, everybody's covered. Uh. Okay, well, um, as far as me, um, the next thing that I have going on is I am compiling a, I, I'm compiling sort of the Avengers supergroup of some of the biggest horror filmmakers over the past five years. 
And I am doing an anthology for a film called Wonder Tales that is derived from the German term meaning fairy tales. And um, I can't say what directors are involved um, right now, but it will be a huge announcement when it is made. And um, all, all the directors are going to be given a unique um, opportunity to do their own separate um, segments for the film. And it's basically going to be uh, twisted versions of fairy tales um, or uh, legends and uh, cryptozoology cases. Um, for those of you who don't know what cryptozoology is, it's the study of uh, animals that are either thought of as instinct or extinct or uh, not of this world. And uh, so that should be really cool. Um, besides that, um, something that I can't talk about specifically what it is, but um, I will say that I have uh, officially, as of today, optioned the rights to remake a horror film from the 90s. Um, I promise that I will do it delicately, and I promise that I will show it all the care in the world, um, but I am hiring a female screenwriter to do a female perspective on this uh, franchise um the the opportunity really kind of came to me today and so uh you know i'm developing a pitch for it and you know hopefully it succeeds um and besides that uh, the next florida project that i'm going to be doing is um i am making going to make a practical effects monster movie that i am pitching as uh tremors on a beach and I want to shoot it in the middle of spring break on either Cocoa Beach or Daytona Beach so I can take advantage of hundreds of free extras. And, um, you know, it's going to have animatronics and puppeteering and uh, no CGI, and that's going to be really cool. And um, besides that, um, you know, I'm also going to be, you know, possibly working on uh, Safe Place 2. And uh, so, you know, the sky's the limit right now. And uh, for anybody that wants to find out any information about Safe Place, you can go to facebook.com slash Safe Place the Movie. And from there, you can find the link to the teaser trailer, to all the articles that some of my featured cast has been on, and all sorts of cool stuff to get to know my cast and crew. Well, we thank you all again um, for taking this time to meet with us today. Again, my name is Stacy Cox, staff correspondent here with founder and editor Ken Artus. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful. Bye, thank guys. you for having Thank you for letting me be on your show. And I'm so excited to meet every single one of you that I haven't met yet. Um, Nick, I'm very excited to work with you, and thank you for asking um, me and the cast to be a part of this podcast with you, and I'm so excited to work with you and everybody. Absolutely. Bye, and have an amazing evening. <laughs> yeah, that was something I'd like to say about my uh, about my Marine Corps career. Literally, I felt like the whole time I was in the Marine Corps, I was just wet oh. and cold, because we, uh, we were in North Carolina. Yeah. You know. And it's just constant rain. And then, like, the first couple days of my really, one of my really, really rough deployments, 
it was so bad. It was like 60 something miles per hour winds. We had nine hypothermia cases and this was in Afghanistan. Oh, and it was just terrible. That's terrible, terrible, terrible. 2010 <laughs> freezing. Wow. The worst, still one of the worst days of my life. It's the worst day of my, I can't even say it. it's definitely the worst day of my life. I remember, th- I remember sitting there thinking, yep, this is, this is where I'm at right now in my life. <laughs> and um, arm, <laughs> arm, uh, we, I was in a hole and a bunch of us were in a hole in the middle of the desert. And uh, it, at this point it had rained so much that if we dug a hole that was five feet deep, we're, you know, we're taking cover in it, the water's four feet. So we're just in water, which explains the hypothermia cases, you know, in the desert. Every time, I love saying that because it just blows people's mind. Like, how do you get hypothermia in the desert? This doesn't make any sense. We had an Eskimo who actually got, we had a guy who was an Eskimo, and he actually got hypothermia. <laughs> wow, that's the irony right there. <laughs> it was, and it was, you know, they're all okay, but man, that is funny. <laughs> you, can't, you can't tell me that's not funny, man. That, that is. is a funny thing. Well, looking back at it now, you could say it's funny. That then it was not funny. Oh no, it was not funny. I I remember sitting in that hole thinking, you know what? If someone comes to get us right now, they deserve it. They are warriors because I wouldn't be out in this weather trying to find somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was bad. That they couldn't even land helicopters. Couldn't, wow, that's how bad it was. The wind, the wind and the mud and the rain was so bad that you couldn't see with thermal, you couldn't even see with thermal optics. Definitely couldn't see with night vision because of, uh, you know, all the, of the mud. And we called in helos and they said, hey, we can't land because it's too bad. So we had to take, we had the, the company, which is, you know, basically the big, the, a part of a unit. They had to drive and come get our, uh, our medevacs and stuff, our casualties. And wow. even the even the even the uh, the Navy, you know, who does all of our medical stuff, they were surprised. They're like, "Hypothermia? What?" You know. But and I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, not that because I hate to put a damper on uh, the Marine Corps. Cause, you know, Marine Corps are very tough, you know, men and women. But we even had a guy, which I will, won't disclose his name, shoot himself in the foot because it was so cold. <laughs> what? And he didn't even bleed. It was so cold. He didn't even bleed. Oh my! That's what I heard. I didn't see it because I was in a different fighting hole. But he had shot himself in the foot because it was cold. Wow. And what was funny about that is that when I heard it, I rolled over to my friend and I said, and one of my, my the person who was sharing to hold me, and I said, "Hey, you hear that?" He's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "I don't hear no more shooting." You know, it was my turn to sleep and his turn to watch. And I said, "Yo, I'm going back to sleep." And we start sh- if people start shooting, just wake me up, you know. <laughs> so it was a uh, it was a time. Wow. Very, very terrible time. Very happy that uh, very happy that I survived. And we obviously, just like any deployment, we had some casualties of young men, you know, and those uh, those families had it really rough, and a lot of us uh, vets have it rough. And you know, every single time I have a chance to, I like to spread awareness just like any veteran does because even even in the past 
the past week we had a veteran who uh that was in our unit that actually uh passed away oh, and you know sad. and a week before that we had another veteran that i know i i know you i usually know them all personally because you're in the same unit but we had another veteran who uh you know straight up put his suicide letter on facebook no you know, two o'clock two o'clock in the morning you know i'm trying to reach him and families trying to reach them and you know that's something that vets have to live with uh live with a lot it's like almost every other month someone one of our buddies have uh passed away you know and it's uh it's sad to know that everybody's not living uh living a fairy tale that you know we would like to believe because social media doesn't allow us to uh, live in our fantasy world anymore we have to uh we have to see everything wow that is so tragic uh hopefully and it's okay. Uh, th this is a very uh, heartfelt uh, segment. You mind if I share uh, this content along with you, with the interview? Um, I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm fine. You know, uh, I like to. I don't want to hide anything. You know, I like to be. I like to be out in the open, and I definitely love. I would love if you, uh, you know, had your platform to share awareness because, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a real thing. You know, it's hard to hide from when you have social media. It's, social media is a good thing and it's also a bad thing. You know, so. But yeah, I, uh, I'm fine with it. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, for our season finale. Season 4, episode 13. And look at that. Episode 13, lucky number 13. Can you believe that? Believe it. Episode 13, season 4. Right. Awesome. And please do share, download. We are on um, Google Music. We are on iTunes. So please share across all social media platforms and tune into our podcast uh, my name is ken artuz founder and editor for dkmag.com and i was joined by co-hosts enid artuz content contributor for dkmag.com and don't forget to listen to our podcast on google music see you in season five stacy cox staff correspondent for dkmag we're on stitcher be sure to rate and review DK Max Stitcher rating and reviews and help us rank. We're going to be taking one week off to gather our thoughts and we will return with season five, episode one, where we will present the latest in horror news and interviews. Anything you care to add on, Stacy, before we take our week off? See you guys soon. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I am surprised that we managed to make it out this podcast without a joke to make uh, Stacy laugh. I just made her laugh. You see, Enid, you were in here the last time. She had a very interesting joke about a book she read. It was very informative. I've never heard that story before. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> she she oh. doesn't even want to say it now. 
I'm trying to remember, like which, wait, which, uh, which book? Oh, the vagina tree. Oh yeah. Oh, so in it, okay, that book, that book that Ken has me reading, right? Uh, Final Masquerade. The second story is called Fuck Not, right? Um, so the guy he inquires of, he gets a piece of land uh, from his grandfather's will, and it holds a tree. Okay, the tree looks like a vagina, tastes like a vagina, feels like a vagina. <laughs> oh my so he, God. he makes out with this tree, right? And then he goes back to his wife and he has this sudden like, you know, just like uh, horny rush or whatever. So after making out with the tree, he goes back to his wife. So his wife is getting angry and she's getting jealous and she wants to see the tree, right? So they have a threesome with the tree, and the tree like consumes him, it eats him, and then turns into a penis. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that you will see on Showtime after midnight. Yeah. And after that, I was just like, oh my god. I was like, oh, you know, I cannot deal with this book right now. So after that, I take a couple days break, and then I try to get back with third story. Um, and then now, like the last story that I wrote, I think I'm on story number nine now. I think story number eight. Um, <laughs> so where um, she consumes him or something like that. I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Wow, it's looks like, like you. So looks like you have a very. You, you are you sure you're reading hard? That sounds like you're reading porn. I oh, mean, she's it's like hot time. Yeah, <laughs> I had to like. I had to like kind of look at the title and everything like 10 times like am i reading the right book what am i like <laughs> what is this a dream for yeah and it's just i'm like okay i'm like halfway through maybe and i'm like this should be sorry yeah but after after i read a story i'm just like all right i need to break from this book now it's just it's so hard getting through that book yeah, I should use hard. the word hard. It is like the stories, <laughs> like the stories are so hard. <laughs> like one is called Mummer's Mummer's Parade, right? The Mummer's Parade. Wow. But it takes the form of like a play, so you're actually reading a play. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, and it's so weird. Like I actually had to like go back to the beginning a few times. Like, what the hell am I reading? <laughs> like, well, you know. we are definitely looking forward to your review on this book. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to get through as fast as I can, but I'm just like, all right, like it's like every story is a different headache. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> wow, interesting. So, well, and that is it. That is the best closure for season four, right there. So it gives people a different perspective when they walk past a tree in the at the park. Interesting. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> See, we made her laugh. That's it. Now we could close out the show because Stacy. I didn't know. That, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know you still recording. I thought we just recorded. Oh yeah, we're like, recording. We're recording. Like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> that is the la- That's the final note for our podcast. You see, and this is the type of humor we got to present on in episodes. Uh, that are forthcoming and you mean on season five episode one of course in episode f- two and three, three and four five right, six exactly seven, because eight, and every you, time you know why because people consider horror and they think people who watch horror or who act in horror or who make horror are these uh deviants 
who live in the basement and, and you know have dead bodies in the freezer no we're not we are average joes we enjoy horror horror has more social commentary than any other film genre and uh you could you could back that statement up as much as you can and uh we have testaments that also back up that claim including oh there's a whole state of films so yeah definitely all right so let's keep them hanging so they could stay interested and let's say goodbye take a week off and come back fresh that's right and see you guys and thank you for tuning in thank you